listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I am excited for today's inspiring conversation on overcoming addiction. This is the first time I've attempted a group conversation, so it should be interesting. So let's get started and see what happens. My first guest is Dennis Jason Ellerbeck. He's a recovering addict, musician, world traveler, small-scale farmer, and woodpiler. He runs a homestead music studio, small-scale farm, and holistic gardening business. And his gardens are absolutely gorgeous. He struggled with hardcore addiction, mainly heroin, for more than 10 years, quitting cold turkey more than a dozen times while finding himself detoxing in strange places and foreign countries. He finally found a way out. It's been nearly seven years from that day. After years of medication, meditation, counseling, and numerous holistic healing practices, he found the important things in life he lost along the way. And those are love, serenity, music, gardening, and growing food. Through this, he's found a new path and purpose in life. Hi, Jay. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Janine. Thank you. Yeah, it's so good to have you here. My next guest is Justice Bartlett. She's a professional transformational coach with 12 years of experience as a healer, teacher, and paradigm shifter. Her personal journey led her from addiction into the healing arts where she rediscovered her own inherent connection and how to convey that connection to others through state-of-the-heart learning and play. As teacher and seminar facilitator at Matrix Energetics International, she honed her ability to present to large groups and transmit powerful energetic states and subtle frequencies for healing and transformation. Justice has studied massage therapy, transpersonal hypnotherapy, shamanic journeying, Reiki, and Matrix Energetics, and has developed play shops for children and adults from all walks of life. Welcome, Justice. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys have agreed to be here. And um, I think that this can be a truly inspiring conversation for people. I was inspired to do this because of all of the press, uh, radio, TV, things that I've been reading about how rampant addiction is these days and how people are just getting sucked in. It's ruining so many people's lives. And um, I thought it would be really wonderful to do a podcast episode on addiction and see if we can share your experiences with other people and hopefully inspire them if they are having problems or if they know someone who's having a problem, hopefully inspire them to uh, to do something and change their life. How about let's start off with your stories, guys. What happened? How did you become addicted to? Uh, I'm not sure. Justice, what were you addicted to? Uh, uh, meth. Meth. Okay. How did that happen? I may as well start with you. Okay. Well, it, you know, it didn't start off with like a full-blown meth addiction. It never does. It started off with... Uh, experimenting with over-the-counter diet pills when I was maybe 13 or 14 um, mm. and they had ephedra in them and they were being used widely around the community my father used them my hair like a hairdresser and um, it was something that the kids couldn't buy but we could still get to 
Um, so we did a run of that and we had a teacher who got wise to us and sat us down and confronted us and was like, blah, blah, blah. You're going to mess up your cycles. <laughs> and, um, but I, I've always, for as long as I can remember, had sort of struggled with my, with my body image and what I perceived to be, you know, being a bigger girl and being overweight. So that little taste of the diet pill world just made me hungry for more. And um, when I got into high school, I wound up moving into recreational use of pharmaceuticals. I had a friend who had Ritalin. I had a friend who had Dexedrine. What is it? I can't remember the full name, but prescriptions for um, ADD and ADHD. Mm -hmm. And then when I was maybe 17, I got my hands on like the real street quality stuff. And it was like this, this disgusting love affair. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm finding it quite fascinating about the diet pills because I never thought of that as a, a possible entry into becoming addicted to drugs. I mean, how mm. many how many young women have uh, body issues, and you know, feel that they need to be smaller, thinner, whatever, and take diet pills? It's they're easy to get. Yeah, and it's really it's pushed on us, right? Like there's something wrong with you, and and mm -hmm. a pill will make you feel better, and it's just it's not it's not that far of a jump from doing a pill to make you feel better to, to doing powder to get the same effect or an amplified version of that effect. Mm -hmm. And who knows what that's doing to your brain to set you up for needing that change or that rush that you're getting from taking them. Right. Absolutely. Well, I know with like long-term like methamphetamine use, like it kills your brain's ability to produce serotonin and dopamine and, and oxytocin, basically everything that, you know, we need biochemically to feel good, it, it replaces um, our need to manufacture that for ourselves. And so that's why coming down such a bitch because your brain's like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. When did you find meth? How did you, how did you get in touch with meth? Um... I had a boyfriend who had a a previous relationship with it, and um, it, it's weird how it like it'll just bloom. Like there'll be like cycles of like it'll start to bloom, and then people who are, you know, just drinking beer and smoking pot are now all of a sudden doing meth, and that's exactly how it was for me. Mm -hmm. And the feeling, like just the feeling, was so euphoric. Um, at least until it's run its course and then you come down and then you have to start the whole cycle all over again to feel better. Right. Right. So how did this affect your life? <laughs> so I was using when I was 17, I, um, was getting pretty wound up in the lifestyle. My then boyfriend, when I lived in a drug house, sometime during that time I got pregnant, I second I found out I was pregnant, I stopped everything cold turkey um, and just devoted my time and effort to getting healthy for her. Mm -hmm. And then about six months after she was born, we kind of started dabbling again. And um, 
I don't know, he talked to my, my ex, you know, he was like, oh, we'll try Coke. It's not the same thing. No, it was so much worse. <laughs> it was like, even worse. And that, it just like, it got the whole ball rolling again. And like, before you know it, you know, I'm, I'm an 18 year old mom, a 19 year old mom with, you know, this hardcore drug addiction. And I was really trying to, to still be a decent parent at the same time. So I was like, well, if there's going to be junkies watching after my kid, it's going to be me. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, it's like these totally incompatible lifestyles, like trying to, you know, as a mother, it's like, it's all about love and sacrifice and nurturing. And as an addict, there's like, it, that, it just kills those parts of your being, right? Mm-hmm. It replaces mm-hmm. everything that you want to bond to with itself. Um, so it like it split me in half, really. I, I would think it'd be terrifying because you know who you want to be, you know what you need to do, but you're 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 stuck with needing this drug. Yeah, and it has this way of convincing you that you know that what you're, it, it normalizes itself after a period of time. Like if you step outside of what you're doing and look in, like it's clearly not normal. But if you're just comparing yourself to like everybody else is doing the same thing, then you can, you can rationalize and you can normalize and you can, and I, I would say to myself all the time, I'd be like, well, yeah, I might be crazy, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> the, the relativity of it all. Okay, let's, wow, let's, let's get to Jason and his story. Hey, kiddo. How's it going? Yeah. Good. So yeah, let's, let's hear your story. Oh, I, I don't really know. I mean, what I started on, like, I probably as a kid, sugar, you know, sugar, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, first addiction. And then I kind of went through them all. You know, from alcohol to marijuana to ecstasy to cocaine to crack, and then, then I hit heroin, and that was it. That's where I found myself, you know, staying, and that was that was the one for me. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, not not the best one. Not that any of them are good, but uh, yeah, it felt like. Uh, I'm not really sure. It felt like uh, it just took everything away, you know. The fir- first first few times I didn't, I did it. I didn't like it, but then uh, afterwards, yeah, I couldn't live without it, you know. So may I ask, why did you keep trying it then, if you didn't like it at first? I don't know. You know, it's just I'm not sure. I, I I probably did like it. I just who knows, you know. Mm. I don't know why it, you know, I think the first few times you kind of get sick and you don't really get into it, but you still get that little glimpse of, you know, um, yeah. You know, well, heaven. Oh, wow. Would you say that it's for, for a lot of people who say, try cigarettes, it tastes like disgusting at first, yeah. but, you, but you keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. You know, and for me, I mean, it took a year till after I was clean. You know, they diagnosed me as bipolar. Oh, 
a lot of that was me self-medicating with the heroin, you know, um, I think. And uh, yeah, it took a long time. And I, I was a recreational drug user for a long time. And even with the heroin, it didn't start like bang. I was all of a sudden shooting it in my arm and I was a junkie. You know, it started off really slow, once a week, sort of, oh, it's Friday night, I've had a long week, I'm just going to get a little bit. And and then slowly, that turned into twice a week, and then it slowly turned into, oh, I can't really quit this now because I'm going to get sick, you know, like it was a gradual progression. And I pretty well held it together for the first couple of years, you know, they, they, they they call you they call you a chipper you know you're just chipping at it you're not really mm-hmm. you're not shooting it every day mm-hmm. and i i maintained a full lifestyle and a, and a whole you know no one probably even really noticed but then things changed quickly <laughs> now i find that really interesting because i would imagine that there are a lot of people who use hardcore drugs on the weekend Exactly. Just, just like yeah. a lot of people drink on the weekend or whatever, and they're, but they think that that's what they can stay with, that it's not going to, it's for, not going to spread to the rest of their life. For some, it, it, they can, but for right. addicts, no, it's not going to happen. You know, you're just going to, some people, I, I, I still have friends that can drink a 12 pack every, every, uh, weekend you know do a bunch of coke get up monday morning go to work all week and don't think anything about them and doing it for 25 years you know mm-hmm. that wasn't me there's a difference between addicts and you know casual users when you're when you're in addiction and you're you're an actual addict it's just not possible i mean that's why they say in in was it narcotics anonymous uh one's too many and a thousand's not enough Mm -hmm. so i wish lynette was here because i wanted to but we'll uh, i will get her get her on i'm part of on the next part um but uh, talking about the genetic component to why you know why some people become addicted and some people don't you know what's your take on that justice um so i've been with with my work i do a lot of ancestral investigation both like consciously investigating your your family of origin and then even more deeply investigating the energetics of that family of origin great and what i've found that you know that mirrors that scientifically is the epigenetics um Mm -hmm. and how the genome can be changed and mutated by whether or not you're nurtured early in life and how that change doesn't necessarily even show up in the following generation. It might not follow up until the, it might not show up until the generation after that. But there are these subtle, you know, mutations that are happening. It's like, did you get enough food? Did you get enough love and care? And it's, it's changing your genetic code, which is changing the signal that you put out energetically for what you tend to attract into your sphere for the people that you tend to interact with, for the substances that you're attracted to, that you tend to bond with. And mm-hmm. I think at the root, for me, for at the root of addiction is that, you know, instead of having this deep, meaningful bond first and primarily with yourself and then with other people, there's always this 
there's always something else that's there, whether, you know, whatever it is, it's like your primary relationship isn't with yourself. And so it definitely isn't with your significant other. It's with the substance and the substance runs the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, the point that you made, I think it's really important about the epigenetics that your genetic code is not set in stone. This is like the new science that, that your genetics does change with your environment, um, with the people around you, with what you put in your body. It isn't a set static thing as scientists used to think. Which is important because it gives people the, the empowerment to be able to change their story, to change their body. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's vital. It's so necessary. I think trauma has a lot to do with it too. And I think that, you know, we need to change the conversation of around what trauma means because people are like, well, here's this rich kid who grew up with everything that they needed. And like, where's the, where's the sign of trauma? It's like, okay, if you're a sensitive soul and you're brought up in a household that only values like material measurable success, that is just as much of a trauma as it is if you're you know, not physically in the same sense, but it is, it's to that soul, it's a trauma. If you're, if you're, you know, beat down or locked in the closet or whatever, it's like, it has the same effect, not, not quite to like the, not quite to the same degree, but it really does have the same effect of not feeling like you're safe, not feeling like you belong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's my understanding, and, and I will be the first to say I'm not an expert on addiction. So, you know, if, if I'm not correct, one of you guys can certainly correct me. It's self-medicating to cope or escape from pain. It, and that pain can be physical. It can be emotional. Uh, it can be verbal abuse. Um, mm-hmm. It can be just not feeling like you're not fitting in. You know, I see all of these when, of course, we're in the valley where Jay and I live. We don't have cell service, but I go into town and there's everybody with their freaking phones in their face. I'm at the hospital lab to get my blood work drawn for my thyroid and everybody's got their face in their phone. I'm sitting there crocheting and knitting. <laughs> but, you know, I, I don't even take my phone out of my purse. Half the time I don't even turn it on because I, and, or you're in a restaurant. Everybody's on their phone. They're not connecting. And to me, that is, it's wounding. I've been talking to moms where their kids have, have cell phones and they're talking about Snapchat and uh, all of the, the rush that the kids get by being liked. And I talked to this one mom the other day and she said, all of my parenting now is around electronics and the addiction, the, the, the addiction to the electronics. Um, because that's as much an addiction as, as, as alcohol or drugs, um, just like gambling's an addiction. I mean, there are a lot of things that people can be addicted to. Mm-hmm. And it's my understanding that very often, too, especially with drugs, um, that once someone gets off of drugs, that, that the, the care needs to be taken to then not get addicted to something else, especially something that's, that's dysfunctional. You know, I suppose you could be addicted to organic food or something, or <laughs> something that's at least healthy. But uh, <laughs> does does that make sense? To, what do you think? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, addiction is rampant everywhere right now. It doesn't matter if it's 
who it is. Yeah. Like you say, from cell phones to world power, you know, there's mm-hmm. addiction, mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol, gambling. And I think a lot of people, it's an escape for one, you know, it's a heavy world and people want to escape and just, yeah, get out of it. And I think as you, you know, when you're a kid or a teenager, you probably don't even necessarily know why you're doing them, but you're doing them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this feels great. This feels good. You don't really know why. Like, I never know really knew why I did it. I just did it because everyone was doing it. We all felt great until later in life. It's like, okay, well, I'm still doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, going back to that uh, trauma yeah, thing about trauma too. Yeah, trauma trauma is huge in in addiction. Did you, you know. did you have a dysfunctional upbringing? Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I had a dysfunctional upbringing. I had uh, w- major womb trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you listen to guys like Gabor Mate, you know, in his mm-hmm. yep. mm-hmm. on, on tra- trauma Love and the him. Yeah, I mean, I grew up with a with a single mother on welfare with three kids, and and you know it was a it was a rough go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, drugs are interesting. Um, they kind of have their own consciousness, I think, too. You know. Yes. When you're in, when you're in that, when you're in the, there's a whole drug world. Like when you talk to addicts, there's a whole. Like um, Justice was saying, it's relative. When you're in that whole world, there's everyone's in it, and that's what you're doing, and it, it's accepted. And okay, we're all just doing it. And and the drugs have a certain consciousness. Each drug has a different consciousness, but they definitely have a consciousness. I believe that, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, What's your take on that, Justice? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, you could even liken it really to to possession in a yeah. certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that was one of the most significant healing experiences that I had when I got off of it. It was about um, maybe two months after I stopped doing the drug itself. I wound up at a shamanic class for ancestral curses and depossession, and the teacher wound up removing this um, this presence from me and and when I she invited us all to like go inside and look around and see if we could see any intrusive energies now I realize this sounds esoteric so if it helps you to understand this more as a thought form um, and as like a, a highly energetically charged thought form then think of it that way so you don't reject the information but to me it looked like um, this black there's actually a perfect it gave me chills when I saw it um, from the, the TV show Hannibal, that there's um, mm-hmm. there's this figure, this archetypal figure that shows up that's black, that has antlers, that's very dark. And when I looked into myself, I saw that lurking there, and I knew what it was without a shadow of a doubt. I knew what it was, and I'm I'm very empathic. I'm intuitive, you know, clear audience, clear sentient, uh, have been my entire life. And what I what I came to understand after I had this entity shamanically removed was that this entity had been co-opting and using all of my psychic facilities to run its program through my being because it was obscenely easy for me to acquire and sustain this lifestyle. And I think I had enough 
enough power and enough presence that I just came through with inherently um, that wasn't completely disrupted despite my really disturbing elements of my childhood so that it was like I was in this constant awareness of like I can feel this pull dragging me in this direction and I can still simultaneously feel this part of myself trying to like hold on to this thread of like wholeness and like sanity but as the momentum of that took over that thread became more and more and more and more more and more afraid and it was really more and more like that entity was just running the show Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's like what justin was saying like that it, it's it's actually proven that when you be, start doing you know you get into heavy drug drug addiction it's very easy for entities to attach on to you because mm-hmm. you're, you're really open to it and that's why a lot of addicts do things i mean i did things i would never do now you know mm-hmm. you think about that what kinds you of know? things is there something that you can share that you did that you- well you know, I can't, I'm not sure off the, off the top of my head, like, you know, um, say whatever I did, if I, I, you know, if I stole from someone or, or, mm-hmm. or lied to someone or whatever I did, you know, mm-hmm. um, those, those things I don't do now because I'm more in my body and I have my consciousness back. But when you have in heavy drug addiction, you have this crazy entity attached to you. You, you do these things and then you wake up later and you're like, wow, I really did that kind of stuff. And it's like, I see people addicts now and, and, you know, I can, I can look at people and I can tell, well, that guy's on something that guy's, I can almost see that entity attached to people's backs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, you can pick that up once you've been through it. I don't know if you can do that justice, but you can, you can pick oh, absolutely. that up. Yeah. So it sounds to me from what I know of you too, like Justice, you were, you just had easy access to drugs. You didn't really have to pay for them or it it just, for some reason you had easy access. And Jay, you had plenty of money to buy what you needed. So it sounds like neither of you ended up on the street. Thank goodness. Or did you? Not entirely. Not entirely. Um, So... I in like the first phase of my addiction, I was going along with this other person mm-hmm. whose entire nature was completely contrary to like the way that I manifest. Mm-hmm. So with him, it was all struggle and strife and ripping people off, you know, ripping this person off to get more dope to extend our high and then having to pay this person back later and then going and stealing. Like, no, I was very, very, very much in like that, like, involved in the whole criminal aspect of it um later with him out of the picture it came more easily to me because as a single woman who was like fun to be around it was just like let's go get testified that was actually even more dangerous (laughs) Uh (laughs) because i didn't have to do anything but um no i've been through both and and at one point with with him with the first phase of it his mother came down from the mountains where she lived and she was like i'm taking your daughter and I didn't do anything to stop her because I knew if it wasn't her, it was going to be DFS next. That was Department of Family Services. And I, I knew the best thing I could do for her at that time was actually to allow her to go because, um, because like Jay was saying, like you find yourself doing these crazy compromising things and compromising my life and my safety is one thing, but compromising hers was something that was completely different and completely unacceptable. And horrible things that you do like, Chris and I one time 
we uh, we got high and we had a friend over and we had a roommate that was staying with us. So we didn't leave her completely by herself, but we took off in the middle of the night and we didn't come back and our roommate had to take her to school with her and like, like just totally just fucking skipped out on our little, you know, our little toddler. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it was things, things like that. And it was right around that time I realized I was compromising her safety. And then, you know, it's like this slow decline. It's like today I'll do this to get it. And tomorrow I'm willing to do this. And today and, and that day, like I'm willing to do that, but not willing to do that. And then like, and then you, the next thing you know, it's just like this erosion of your integrity and you find yourself doing things you never would have imagined ever doing. Mm. And in order to not feel the guilt for it, you just keep getting high. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine what that does to your sense of self-worth. Yeah, and it's a lot tougher for, you know, I'm not going to be uh, judgmental or anything, but a woman in the drug world and a man in the drug world is a, is a whole different story, you know. How so? There's a lot of predators. There's a lot of predators in the in the drug world. Whether they're doing drugs or not doing drugs, they're there and, you know, they'll give women money to do drugs and they'll make women do crazy things. Um yeah, there's a there's there's real predat there's a real predation. You don't see that a lot, but I mean, I've been in places where it's like I, I even though I was a junkie, I still had integrity, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'd be in some places, and I'd be like, "Is this really happening right now?" Like, these mm-hmm. guys are complete creeps. And like, at one point, I even had there was a lot of you know sort of women and and prostitutes and stuff, and they'd all show up at my house because they knew they were safe there, you know. <laughs> They didn't get, they didn't have to do anything there. They could mm-hmm. sleep, they could, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and the, yeah, of course, then getting back into that whole guilt and shame and, and all this stuff and, you know, uh, it just it just keeps going. So I just wanted to add that because I think that's, that's something re- people really need to be aware of is the, the whole, yeah, that whole scene. Absolutely, absolutely. Know? Um, which I was never a part of. I, I, I observed that a lot. Even though I was around those people, I've seen some crazy things. And, you know, um, even in that whole scene, like I say, there, I, I, I still kept a, a, a sense of safety towards women in that, in, you know. Um, mm-hmm. but, and, and it's not even always drug addicts. It could, yeah, like I say, it could be just some rich guy with a lot of money, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what, when did you decide, well, let's see, no, let's start with, it, was there anything that happened that made you realize, wow, this is a problem? Was there anything mm-hmm. specific or was it gradual? Are you talking to me? or it, to- Both of you. Okay, I can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, yeah, I basically just lost everything, mm-hmm. you know? Lost my family, lost my mind, lost my money, lost, you know, at one point I was standing on the road, I didn't even have shoes, you know, Mm. and the next point for me was, uh, yeah, I was going to be downtown East Hastings in no time, you know, it was just this gradual progression towards hell. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a good friend who was in the NA program and 30 years clean, and I just called them and said, you know, I got to get out of here. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Uh, 
and took all the rest of the money I had. Fortunately, I could borrow some money and I just jumped on a plane to Bali where my, my friend had a, had a uh, guest house there. And I showed up at the airport high as a kite in Bali, got, uh, got on a plane, or I mean, got in a taxi, told the guy to drop me off at a hotel. I just lied in this hotel for about a week, uh, cleaned myself up, stayed there. Yeah, and then just didn't didn't go back to where I used to use. I kept going. I uh, I met Lena, now my partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, we traveled through India and Thailand, and uh, just went on a on a journey. And I cleaned up, and then I actually no, I did. I I went back to um, my hometown. Uh, my grandpa was sick. I went back there. My grandpa died. Uh, I was over a year clean. And I relapsed again mm. and for about two months. And then uh, my partner, Lena, was like, you know, I can't deal with this. I'm booking a flight to Germany. You can either come with me or you can stay here and, you know, whatever's going to happen to you. So I got on the plane and went to Germany uh, for two years and I cleaned up there. And yeah, Um then when I came back, I, I didn't go back again to, you know, I couldn't go, I couldn't stay in the town where I used to use. So mm-hmm. I went from Germany right to Janine's place, actually. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And stayed there, you know, I just, I, I'd done the mistakes so many times. I knew what the mistakes were. So I was making sure that I didn't do those again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of tucked myself up in the woods here and uh just got my life back together and you know but it was a long process and you know i'd done that many times i'd hop on a plane to mexico i'd hop you know but i i kept going back to the same place mm-hmm. you know which was my my mistake mm-hmm. so the last time i cleaned up i didn't go back to the same place now i can go back there but you know uh for a long time i couldn't mm-hmm. so now you feel safe enough and that you really have things under control that you could do that now yeah now for the first few years you know like i i i i feel like um yeah that's a lot of people's big mistake and that's that's one thing about you know you go to a detox center or a rehab center in, in bc and you know i was in the detox center and half the people in there were were from the street Okay, so you get in there, they they uh, detox them or put them through treatment or whatever. But where do they go? Mm-hmm. Back on the street, <laughs> you know, which is like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, they don't even have a chance. Yeah, that doesn't make um, any sense at all to me. No, and that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was just not going back to that same place. And totally, I had to totally... Uh, you, you know, find a whole new lifestyle, all new. Like I don't talk to any of those friends. I don't communicate. Like I, I just went on a totally different path, mm-hmm. you know, which is I knew the only way it was going to work, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. So what about you, Justice? What, um, what did I, what was the question now? <laughs> now, that, now that Jay's giving me such a great answer. Oh, I know. How, when did you realize that this was a problem? 
it's you know it's like this series of justifications it killed my marriage like my marriage ended i wasn't seeing my daughter anymore and yet i somehow had this idea that that i was still better than some of the junkies i knew mm-hmm. and it was like um what happened um one thing that happened was my ex started moving on with his life. He um, he came to me with divorce papers because he wanted to get remarried. Mm-hmm. And that um, that was kind of a wake-up call. It was like, well, wait a second. Like, I'm still doing what I was doing, and he's getting married? Like, how does that add up? Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was significant. The, one of the most significant moments was like, it wasn't anything crazy that happened. Like I woke up from a nap and I had loaned a fellow junkie friend, my car and my car was gone and I had no dope. I had nothing. I had nothing, no cigarettes. My phone was turned off. Like I'm alone in my apartment. And, um, like I had this moment where I got up from my chair and I was walking through my kitchen, like down the hall. And it was such like so small so small yet so earnest I was like I need help (laughs) Mm. hello anybody listening I need help (laughs) and I felt this wave of energy go through me that was that was out of context for anything that my life was at that time maybe maybe when I was younger you know I'd had this feeling before and I felt this wave come through me and I was like, Oh my God, what the, what the fuck was that? Like, mm-hmm. and I sat down and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> I don't even know how to like wrap my head around this. And I kid you not 10 minutes later, my mom called and was like, I've been talking to your dad and they want you to come out and work with them over the summer. And I imagine that they had inklings that something wasn't right with me, but um, I was felt like I was pretty manipulative and pretty good at covering my tracks and they weren't very good at confrontation so mm. between the combination of being like so secretive and them not being good at confrontation and not leaving any like hardcore evidence like mm-hmm. <laughs> that was that was the opening mm-hmm. and um I believed even from that moment I believed that from that moment once I decided to go that I was going to be able to pretend like it wasn't happening. I was going to be able to move forward with my life without actually having to confront what I had created thus far. And I was planning on just locking up my apartment and not telling them anything that was going on and just going out, coming out to Washington and starting over. Um, And what I discovered, yeah, that was my plan. (laughs) (laughs) And how did that work for you? Um, I discovered within several days after I decided, okay, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to stop until I go to Washington, that I couldn't stop. And it really culminated one night when like, I literally turned down free dope probably six times in two days. And I took myself to bed and my daughter was coming the next morning to visit. And um, I forgot to lock the, my apartment door and some dude that I'd hung out with one or two times like I did not know this guy at all let himself into my apartment and I literally kid you not woke up to somebody crinkling like a full bag of crystals over my face being like come on wake up it's time to get high god and 
I had no willpower. Like, you know, I turned on the light. I was like, it's a sign from God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm supposed yeah. to do this. And so we got, we got high and we went for a drive. And like I said, I really didn't know this guy. I don't know. And I didn't have a problem endangering myself. I found myself driving out um, past the outskirts of town, past Bozeman, like way up out in the woods off this dirt road. And somewhere along that, like he started making like inappropriate, unwelcome suggestions at me. And finally, like I was like, I was getting really uncomfortable and then like, and we were just driving further and further out in the middle of nowhere. And like, I just like, like mustered all the power that I could in my body. And I turned and I looked at him and I was like, there's no way that I'm going to fuck you. Like, just forget it. It's not going to happen. And he looked at me and like the look in his eyes, I was like, oh my God. And he didn't take it out on me, um, which I think if I had been a slightly weaker female, that probably would have been the end of me. He took it out on the truck instead. Wow. He, he went barreling through, like totally took off off the road and was just barreling this flatbed truck through the trees. And he got on the truck stuck in between the trees and at one point i yeah like wedged in between these two huge like pine trees it's not funny and at one it point is. Oh. it is funny in that it's so insanely absurd like i can't even imagine this happened to me but it did and like he's revving it in and out of gear trying to get it unlodged and then this branch came shooting through the back window broke the back window of the truck came like shooting past my head, like moved my hair. It was so close to impaling the back of my skull. And I was like, stop, like I'm getting out. And I got out and I had to walk. We had to walk together with this guy. We had to walk like three hours, which is probably the equivalent of what, six miles at least down through the woods before I could even get a cell signal and call a friend who was like pretty annoyed and disgusted with me at six in the morning to come pick me up and take me back to my apartment. And then I had two or three hours to like, to get my shit together before my daughter showed up. And I remember so clearly being so happy to see her and so traumatized and exhausted from the night before that I could feel like, I could feel the space between where I was and where my body was as I was pushing her on the swing. And I was like standing behind her and like crying. And like, I was so detached from it. I was like, Oh my God, I have a problem. <laughs> wow. That was it. It was like, uh, yeah. And that, that was when I started confessing. That was when I started telling my mom and telling my dad and like, the whole circumstances under my trip came and it became about being on like lockdown instead of like just moving to Washington. But it, you know, it was my, it was my treatment program. It was like mm -hmm. moving in with my dad and working with him and going to therapy and seeing a shaman and all of that. Wow. Wow. You guys, you are so to be commended because I know a lot of people don't make it through and, um, You've both been through so much. How about if you could share with people what, so from your experiences, what kinds of things have you found really do work and, and what have you found really doesn't? 
let's start with what what do you what do you find works? Let's start start with Jay. Give give Justice a chance to get yeah. a breath. Um, <laughs> what works? What has really uh, I mean, helped? I think it depends. On, it varies on on individual, mm-hmm. um, but definitely, yeah. Uh, first, um, coming to that bottom or make it or break it point where you you have like justice said there's this whatever you want to call it it, realization where like okay this is this is do or die Mm -hmm. um there is a way out and there is a chance for everyone and you just gotta you gotta pay attention to to when that is because you know there there are doorways Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so being being able to pay attention to that uh, being able to surrender to that, mm-hmm. um, realizing that yeah, like there's so many crazy stories about drug addiction and drug addicts, and realizing that that it's it's it feels really normal in the in the, like this story Justice just told. Like in in that situation, it's totally normal. It's just like you wake up, oh God, that happened last night. That you know, wow, mm-hmm. you shrug it off and just keep going. You know. Um, but it's not normal when you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think what helped me was um, eventually uh, two things. Patience. Mm-hmm. Patience is huge. Mm-hmm. You can't just. You know, you can't just quit drugs and wake up the next morning and say, "Oh, I just quit drugs. I'm, I'm, I'm great now, and you know, I'm all healthy and everything's great." It's not how it works. You know, it took me two years of being on antidepressants. Um, you know, for the first six months, I could hardly get out of bed. For the first three months, I couldn't open and shut a cupboard door. Uh, I could not think properly for 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 two years. Mm-hmm. Um. So having that, you know, that's that's a huge one is patience because people people think it's a quick fix. Like, I mean, you've been doing drugs for ten years, you're not gonna feel great in ten days after. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm seven years clean now and still sometimes it's 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 not easy, you know. Um patience is a huge one and purpose. Mm. Purpose is huge. Mm-hmm. If you do not if you're a drug addict and you do not have purpose then you're not going to quit drugs because your purpose is going to be drugs, you know, Um, whatever that purpose may be, you know, like, like um, justice went into the healing arts. Uh, I sort of went into back into my music. Uh, I totally focused on gardening and growing food because that gave me a purpose. Mm -hmm. I was responsible for these vegetables, you know, for, for whatever it is. Um, purpose is huge if you don't you know now i have another purpose i just had a uh, a baby yeah purpose you know (laughs) that's that's really strong in my head now like Mm -hmm. you know as far as uh relapsing you know Mm -hmm. um but for a lot of people Mm -hmm. if they don't have if you don't have patience and purpose then you know it's 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 going to be a real tough road and it uh, sounds like support is, is support is, is huge. Huge, yeah. Support yeah. is huge in the in the sense that yes, support is huge. But in the same sense, support um, 
support is if you do support is huge if you want to be supported let's mm -hmm. put it that way okay that's a like, good distinction yeah if you don't you know if you're not ready all the support isn't going to matter because uh you're just going to keep going keep going back there's a point like like my 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 friend bill used to say and he you know i'd show up at his place wanting to clean up and he'd be like well are you ready you know this time <laughs> like you know if you're not ready just turn around and you know go out the door mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. because there's you have to be ready mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i think for for those those are the things are for me for everyone it's going to be different but for me those are those are two huge things mm -hmm. great thank you how about you justice i think for me the first step was the honesty mm -hmm. uh, was the willingness to come out and admit it and not just not to myself but you know to to my mom was like was like a really hardcore moment of truth for me um and she handled it so well i remember and, and i know not everybody will and and you have to know that when you when you do that when you expose yourself whether you're accepted or not hopefully you will be accepted but if you're not you're you're doing it for yourself mm, that's a um, good point so that willingness to expose yourself my mom accepted me she I remember very clearly I told her what I've been doing. I was like, I've been doing drugs and dealing them and da 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 da. And she was like, Well and she took a deep breath and she said, It's really nice to finally hear the truth. And like and it was it was. It was nice to say it and it was nice to have her hear it and to know, to full on know there were gonna be like vicious consequences. Mm -hmm. And then I I think moving forward learning to make the distinction between things that I had done and who I was. Mm -hmm. And it was something that my hypnotherapy teacher did as I was like, was going on and on and on like about it one day. And I was like, I was like, yeah, like just being so bad, being bad, you know, the shame of it. And and he reached across me with his twinkly wizard eyes and put his hand on my knee. And he said, no, no bad, just experience. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it put everything into completely different context for me. It was like, oh yeah, I've been choosing these experiences and I can make distinction within the experiences that I'm choosing. This is a healthy experience. This is not a healthy experience. And that, that's gone with me. That's like, it was something that I definitely applied at that time in my life to that situation to to forgiving myself and healing myself of like of the addiction and the addiction mentality and the emotions underneath it that were driving the addiction and to the avoidance and to the whole entire pattern of what I call like seeking oblivion which is more than just using it using with <laughs> using with abandon right mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. abandoning yourself to use um it was like learning the difference between I've done this thing and this sucked and this hurt and this hurt myself and this hurt somebody else versus I am this thing. Like I'm, and I would never, and I, and I know this is, you know, I never would claim I'm an addict. I would never claim that never in a million years. Okay. I entangled with addiction in a hardcore way. And it's an ongoing relationship that I am aware of. Um, in, in the way to this day, to the way that 
if I choose, you know, if I choose to have a glass of wine versus if I'm upset and I'm choosing to drown my troubles in a bottle, you know, it's, 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 cause I haven't, I haven't given up these other things that I enjoy, but I am aware of my relationship with them. And when I'm in healthy relationship versus when I'm in toxic relationship, and I'm aware that there are certain substances that there is no possible outcome other than to be in toxic relationship with. Mm-hmm. If that okay. makes sense. Yep. Yep. This is actually what the next question was going to be how you manage today. So you're, you're seg- already segueing in. So <laughs> you may as well com- complete the thoughts and then we'll, we'll do that with Jay. Emotions. It's all about emotions. If I'm not aware of and tending to my emotional state, um, which to me is a really primal way of continuing to bond and rebond and reparent myself, then I am going to look to another person, another substance, another form of numbing and soothing to take care of that which I'm not taking care of in myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are there are there times when you feel challenged now and you you have to do something I don't know take a walk meditate or you know do something to to say some kind of a crisis well you your relationship broke up um, yeah I mean did you have urges to go back to any any kind of addictive behavior. I, like, leading up to my breakup, um, um, there's some substance entanglement for both of us, um, and it's a harder line for, it's like, just the more refined and whole I feel in myself, the more, um, uh, what's the word, like, just kind of, like, unpleasant, you know, these intoxicants Mm -hmm. feel in my system, Mm -hmm. um, so, it's like, it's not just like, am I choosing to check out to do this because I'm stressed? It's also like, am I choosing to, to check out into this behavior because, you know, because it, it matches a more familiar state than that which might be emerging. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, you know, that familiarity might be more comfortable because it's like, you know, we've been saying, it's like when you're in that behavior, you normalize it. But as you start to begin to realize and feel more whole in yourself, you come to realize, oh, no, that's not normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and even more than normal, I would prefer to use the word healthy um, okay. because who knows what normal is. Right, right. That's kind of relative. Okay. So, so for, me, um, for me, the choice of correct soothing and, and wound tending versus numbing uh, i would use the, the distinction between am i choosing to numb like okay i'm stressed i'm gonna go have a glass of wine or am i choosing to soothe okay i'm stressed i'm gonna go to do yoga instead mm-hmm. um has been like probably the most significant shift in awareness that i've had even more recently that's really that's, that's bringing it even deeper and creating a more holistic approach with like the whole with every element of my life um because it's like I walk away from that, but every single day there are temptations to distract and avoid and numb and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. seek that oblivion in greater and lesser ways. Mm-hmm. I think those, those two distinctions that you made are very important. 
So it's whether you're choosing to numb or soothe. Would you say that was the the crux of those two distinctions? Yeah, yeah, and that's the ongoing one for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Jay? Uh, what was the question again? Well, you know, how are you managing today? What what oh, what do you yeah. do when when okay. something happens to throw you out of balance? Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Well. That's a good one for me. I mean, uh, first, I just want to say, like Justice was saying, an addict, an addict comes out of addiction, or um, with with carrying a whole briefcase of things. You should mm-hmm. definitely shame, mm-hmm. grief, uh, mm-hmm. fear, um, a whole bunch of emotions that you know you have to to get out get get over and and one of those things that really i forgot to mention last time is forgiveness being able to forgive yourself never mind anyone else Mm -hmm. you know good point um so i think for the first little while how i coped was fear like i was just scared you know Mm -hmm. i didn't go i didn't want to go back because i knew where even now i'm it's not that I live in fear, but there is that state. Like I meet people and they say, oh, you don't, you don't party, you don't whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, not anymore. I used to party, you know. And they say, well, why? And I say, well, because I know where I'm going to be if I start partying with you guys. You know, I'm going to be like on some guy's couch I don't even know 50 miles from here two days later. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I just know where that goes. Mm -hmm. So I think at the beginning, it was a lot of fear. Um, Mm -hmm. Now it's more, I don't, I don't even really think about it anymore. Like, um, of course I do have some mental issues that I have to deal with. And um, I try and keep myself somewhat um, stable. Uh, I was on medication for a long time. I'm not right now. Mm but yeah, I think just going back to that is like, I have a purpose now. My purpose now is that, yeah, I've got a family, I've got a farm, I grow food, I'm making music, I'm helping uh, people that want to get off drugs. Um, those things just all keep me growing, going. And that that little thought in the back of my head was like, yeah, I still, you know, okay, well, that would be just, you know, wonderful but you know i know where that goes mm-hmm. um it's not going to be like i can go out on friday night and just you know do some heroin and then wake up the next morning and everything's going to be okay like i'll disappear for two years sort of thing mm-hmm. so i think uh you know i try and maintain a pretty balanced lifestyle uh you know i go to bed every night at the same time i eat good uh, i still have some addictions you know um, around behaviors and caffeine and nicotine and these sort of things that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the ones, uh, yeah, I think it's a con like it's, it's a constant. We're constantly dealing with addiction, mm-hmm. um, in some form. And, and, and I think the thing I think about drug addicts is they get the you know, you get the bad rap. It's like when I was a junkie, the, the, the way people treated me, you know, it was just like, 
it was crazy. And then at the same time, yeah, like you say, they're sitting on their iPhone, uh, <laughs> sitting, you know, on their iPhone all the time, going out on the on the weekend, uh, drinking 12, 12 beers and, and uh, snorting a bunch of Coke and uh, watching porn. But then, oh, you're the junkie. You're the bad one. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's always this blame on, oh, you're the meth head. You're the you're the junkie. You're the crackhead. Like. The, the world is is just fueled by addiction right now like we're, we're constantly whatever it is and drugs is just one part of it right i was reading an article not too long ago um it was about some software developers who they were talking about how how the, like the like button on facebook yeah. that was yeah, exactly. deliberately deliberately engineered to be addictive Mm-hmm. And and some other you know some other app, apps especially you know how these apps are are engineered to be addictive, and and, mm-hmm. and there were two guys that 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 were being interviewed and both of them it was interesting both of them were highly regretting what they had created. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and behavior mm-hmm. addictions are huge. Mm-hmm. You know, people overlook those quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. So, I, 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 you know, drugs are just the one that everyone's one's kind of pinned on. Oh, the drug war, the drug addicts, the crime, the whatever it is. But um, it's a it's a much bigger picture. It's a much bigger picture than that. Yeah. It's huge for sure. Well, I want to thank you both so much. I can hear your dog just as <laughs> is he lying on your lap. <laughs> He's it, like he's next to me. Yeah, uh, he's just. What's what's your pug's name? You may as well introduce him because we can hear him every once in a while, or her. This is Gromit. Gromit. He's really excellent for limbic regulation. So uh-huh. enjoy the the purring sounds coming through the interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great, Gromit. That's so cute. This has been an incredible hour of sharing. I'm so thrilled and I'm so proud of both of you for sharing. I, I can't imagine that it's easy to do that. And I, I hope that others listening will, will truly benefit and, and really think about all of the wisdom here in, in what you're having to say. Um, Justice, let's start with you. Would you uh, like to share with people how they can get a hold of you if they, I know you have a practice and you work with people. Um, We'll also be putting this information on the website, but it's nice to have it right here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. You can find me at playfullyconscious.com. Playfully. And remember that's two L's, right? Conscious. (laughs) Conscious Conscious.com. And what services do you offer? I do um, one-on-one couples, family, transpersonal coaching and healing work. I work with people who are are shifting out of an addictive state or who are going through life change or um, who are healing or who are just looking for ongoing support for personal growth. So it's kind of all across the board. I work with energy, with consciousness. It's fun. It's symbolic. It's empowering. It's uh, it's great work. It's my purpose and my passion. So, (laughs) (laughs) and you're really good at it. I have experienced you as a teacher, and you're awesome. 
So Jay, if, if somebody, let's say somebody, I know you don't, I don't think you have a, a particularly a practice, but no, no, I okay. don't do anything like that. I work with plants, you know, right. But I, I, know. I, do, I do have random people showing up in my driveway, you know, <laughs> um, that are totally whacked out and need some advice mm-hmm. and I'm more than <laughs> more than welcome. If someone wants to email me and talk to me, Okay, what's your email? Uh, trout, T-R-O-U-T underscore 15 at hotmail.com. Okay, so uh, Trout, let me do that again. Trout, T-R-O-U-T, T-R-O-U-T underline or underscore, underscore 15 at hotmail.com. Right. Yeah. So if someone has felt a connection with yeah, you on exactly. this and, and uh, wants to connect with you and, and perhaps need, you can be helpful. If they need help or some references to other things that might mm-hmm. help or, or, you know, even if they're in the Kootenai area in Nelson and uh, want to, you know, I'm not a big NA guy anymore, but uh, I'm cool to take them to an NA meeting, which, which I think oh, in your awesome. first six months of recovery is very important because not even if you just don't believe in that but or you know it's it's somewhere where everyone's doing the same thing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and you can connect a lot there with with a lot of amazing people mm-hmm. uh you know it's for some people a lot of people a, a, a lot of addicts are scared of authority police mm-hmm. counselors uh whatever mm-hmm. psychiatrists narcotics anonymous all that sort of stuff so sometimes just an average joe like me can help them out that way you know awesome well i appreciate your putting yourself out there like that thank you thank you and thank you janine it's really cool that you did that oh thank you both i um if there are any last words that either of you want to that you haven't gotten in that you need to say before we end uh, I just want to remind people that you know, whatever it is that you're transitioning through, it's not it's not your fault. Like you do have an accountability to love and care for yourself and get yourself to the next step of your evolution, whatever that is. But whatever wh- whatever is is paining you, like it's it's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. Like you deserve to feel better about yourself and your life, and you're worth it. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Wise. Yeah, and I think on that note, what Justice just said is, and you're not alone. You know, <laughs> it's just yeah. a lot of people, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. You know, and I think that's important because I mean, I know there are times when I feel really alone, and you know, I've got a family, and but it's just it's you. Sometimes you just feel alone, even though you're not. Yeah, and everyone deserves a chance and everyone, you know, but it comes down to making that decision. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Have, I, have I had enough? You know, is there another? And there is. There's a whole other life out there if you choose it. And we're two examples of, of that life. You certainly are. You know, which I would have never dreamed of where I'm sitting right now <laughs> 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much, guys. This is wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Janine. Guys, take care. Mm -hmm. Take care and be well. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye. This has been a very important conversation. 
You've been listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. Inspiring conversations with ordinary people living extraordinary lives. Do you know someone who would benefit from this important conversation? I know you do. Please share with friends and family. Find my podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on a great conversation. Show notes can be found on our podcast website, realjanine.com, as well as links to guest webpages, pictures, and you can also download or listen to this conversation, leave comments or questions, and sign up for the Real Janine mail list. That way you can keep up on new episodes, life updates, and always a yummy recipe. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. Thank you so much, Matt and Lynette. Really, really appreciate your time and your input. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well. Thank you.